to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Today, I am talking about Mass Effect 3 with Mike Drucker, who is a contributing writer at SNL, at The Onion, at Dorkly, and a hilarious stand-up, and he currently writes for the IGN series Up at Noon, and he co-wrote Kid Icarus, the new 3DS game for Nintendo. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thank you for having me. Mike, uh, before we get into the Mass Effect stuff, you co-wrote Kid Icarus. What exactly does that mean? Um, I was one of the localization writers, and my job was sort of to polish up the jokes. This is the new Kid Icarus that just came out on 3DS. It's the first Kid Icarus game, and you probably know. Um, I think, because I forget, because we, you know, I was working on it last year, so we had all our years sort of mixed up. Um... It's the first Kid Icarus game since the original NES one, anyway. No, since the Game Boy. There was, uh, oh, there's a great, right, right. Uh, like, Myths and Monsters in 91, I think. So, the Japanese created the game, uh, mm-hmm. wrote the game, but then the game needed to be Americanized somehow? Yeah, you know, and I can vaguely talk about it since I don't work there anymore. The way it works is, like, they'll give you the script, and then, like, someone translates it for you, and you work with the translator, and you rewrite the script to make it, to make it sound Western. Like, you don't change the spirit of it, but... Jokes don't always make sense. You know, Japanese jokes about pop culture, you know, pop culture references won't necessarily translate. And while some fans like the direct translation, you know, for most fans, you know, you're not going to get it. Or, you know, a joke about there's gender differences and just different ideas of like what's funny about different things. Did you learn a lot about Japanese culture doing this game? Oh, yeah. I mean, just in general working there, you know, because you, you learn specifics. I mean, even if you're a huge video game fan. You know, when you grow up watching anime, there's still just a lot about little specific cultural ideas that you don't know or you had misconceptions about. And the game just came out, and I'm seeing a lot of the reviews yeah. mentioning that the game's actually rather funny. Is that something Nintendo does for a lot of their games? No, I mean, part of the reason I was, I was hired was because I was funny. Uh, and for this game, like, the creator, Masahiro Sakurai, who did Smash Brothers, you know, he really wanted to make it funny, and he wanted to do a lot of voice acting, but he didn't want it to be serious. So, you know, I was put on it to help polish up the jokes. But, I mean, Nintendo games are generally funny. Like, Animal Crossing's funny. And Paper Mario's funny. Yeah, those are funny, yeah. I think, like, Zelda kind of takes itself very seriously. But you're right, those are two funny Nintendo titles. Right. But for this one, since it was all voice, too, they want someone who had, like, experience writing jokes for, like, actual people speaking versus, you know, something just written in a text box. Was that a dream come true for you, writing for a video game? I mean, that seems like you're... I mean, also, you wrote for this classic Nintendo character. Your, your words are a part of the canon now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's really weird. Um, I mean, you know, and I did other games. Like, I did a little bit of... Like, I helped just a smidgen of a smidgen on The Last Zelda. You know, I did almost everything for Mario Party 9, which is not a huge game, but it was fun to do anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, these are you're working with Mario and Zelda here. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. It's a huge honor. I mean, it's definitely, as a kid, like, I dreamed of working at Nintendo, um, and it's a great place to work. I had a lot of fun there. The only reason I left was, you know, because I got a creative opportunity to do something else, but Nintendo's a cool place to work. It's fun knowing the dark secrets I'll never tell anybody because I would be just murdered by assassins. Did you ever get to meet Miyamoto? I did. I did. I got to, like, shake his hand and say thank you. But it was, it was never like I didn't go out to dinner with him. I'm imagining he comes into the room and everyone turns. He's not the head of the company, but at the same time, he's, like, you know, this huge symbolic part of the company. I mean, like, I remember one of, when Steve Jobs died, one of the things I said to my boss was, like, oh, my God, like, if, when Miyamoto dies, it'll be the same thing. Yeah, that's very true. Apple is... You know, I believe that Apple will slowly sort of turn into just another tech company over the next 10 years. And 
Nintendo's going to be hurt the same way when you have that big symbolic figurehead. Yeah, that will be a, a very sad day, hopefully one that doesn't come for a while. Yeah. Between your work there and all these other things I listed, SNL, The Onion, you are almost overqualified for what we are about to do, <laughs> which is talk about Mass Effect 3 for an hour. Yeah. And uh, I think that we have to get a little spoilery when discussing this game. Uh, so if you haven't beaten the game yet, I don't know why you're listening to the podcast. Pause it, come back to it later, go beat the game. If you aren't in a Mass Effect, uh, you heard about Nintendo, now's probably a great time to stop listening if you even downloaded <laughs> the episode. Because uh, also, the other thing is, it's impossible to talk about this game at this point without talking about the very controversial ending. Oh, God, yeah. We made fun of the ending at Up and Noon, and people went nuts. Like, we didn't even spoil anything. We just made fun of it, and people went crazy. Okay, so this is your last chance to get off if you are at all concerned about Mass Effect 3 spoilers. All right, they're gone. We can talk about them. <laughs> uh, this isn't always a video game podcast, and I think, I didn't look, but I think this is actually the first time I'm devoting an entire episode to a single game, so I liked it. There must be something special about Mass Effect. For those that haven't played the game and are still listening, how would you describe it? It's, um, imagine if you combine like Gears of War with a role-playing game. So you have a lot of third-person shooting, but you also have like a lot of story elements that require decisions. It's not just cutscenes. I think the other thing that makes Mass Effect special is the structure that they have set up for this series. The one that just came out that we just played is Mass Effect 3, and they did something with these three games that I don't think, correct me, maybe some PC game or something, I don't think has ever been done in video games before, where uh, it was a planned trilogy with one story with a beginning, middle, and end, and your actions in Mass Effect 1 and 2 carried over and affected the story throughout the entire trilogy. I think the only games that have done that are maybe Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and The Witcher 1 and 2, but never for three whole games. And Baldur's Gate is also from Bioware, who made this game. Yes. I am, personally, I'm not really uh, into RPGs. I don't play a ton of RPGs. Um, I almost don't play any RPGs, you might say. But I had heard about this game, and Owen, who is on the Toy Fair episode of the show and was on last week talking about Ninja Turtles, was telling me about it, and I, I just thought it sounded cool, and I checked it out, and I became immediately so enamored with it. And I think what makes this game so special, really, is the writing. I think it's possibly, uh, with all due respect to Kid Icarus, uh, the best writing ever in a video game. I would definitely agree it's up there. I mean, um, and when we get to the ending, we'll talk about it, but there's a lot of good writing in the game. There's a lot of good story moments. There's some bad writing. That's what happens when you have a writing staff versus a writer. I mean, I don't have any idea. Maybe, you know, having worked on a video game. Yeah. How do you write Mass Effect? Because it's not just a, a script. I mean, there's so many branching possibilities and no matter what you do, it feels like you're doing the right thing. I'm, oh yeah. I mean, I don't even, I couldn't even imagine it. Like, you know, uh, I can't really go into detail about what we did at Nintendo, but like, you know, it's, it's imagine, you know, essentially writing a script with branching pads. Something the scale of Mass Effect, I can't even imagine keeping track of all those different paths you'd have to follow. What is your history with the Mass Effect series? Because I actually never played, uh, I gotta be, I never played Mass Effect 1. I started with Mass Effect 2, which very conveniently has a, uh, a motion comic about what happened in Mass Effect 1, and they let you make some of the key decisions that you would have made if you had actually played the game, and then it drops you at the start of two. You played the whole series. I played the whole series. I tried to play one on the Xbox, and one, the start of one, is really boring. I, I started playing it, and I didn't finish it, and I actually traded the game back in, and then there was a Steam sale where I got both one and two and just blew through them over the course of maybe three months and loved it. Like, I think it's Mass Effect 1 
two is a much more streamlined experience. One is a much more classic role playing game where it takes eight hours to get into it. You know, you have to really give it time. I think they streamlined the series as they went on. Yeah, they really ruined everything by making it actually fun. <laughs> I never played, uh, that's kind of why I started with two, is because everyone that played the first two was like, yeah, the first one's good, but they made it actually fun with the second one. Is that true? It's true. I mean, it depends on who you ask. Like, there's the, there's the elitist, nerdy part of me that's like, well, it's a better role-playing game because you have to build up characters and it's much more, you know, choices. In reality, two is much more fun. Let me set the scene for how I got into Mass Effect 3. And this, I think, if you're not familiar with the games, will also give you a sense of how the games carry over into each other. The second game, Mass Effect 2, revolves entirely around this suicide mission. The whole game is oriented around this one final mission. And you spend the whole game collecting crew members, trying to build a crew, and convincing them to go on this mission with you. Right. But for me, that suicide mission went kind of poorly. Because uh, what they do is they ask you, there, there's these moments in it where they, the team splits up and it's like, pick a leader or uh, someone needs to infiltrate uh, an air vent or something. And it's like, pick someone to sneak in. And I didn't realize when they said, pick a leader or pick uh, a biotic, which is like the space world's equivalent of magic, uh, you know, pick, pick someone to do this. I was just picking my favorite people who I had pl- played the game training. I was, yeah. It was like, pick a leader. And I was like, well, Grunt's my dude. I got to go with Grunt. I've been, he's been my right-hand man the whole game. Great at taking down shields. Uh, <laughs> and Grunt is this, like, he is a, a Krogan, somewhat dinosaur warrior. He's not the most articulate cast member, but he's one of my favorites. Right. Uh, and I chose Grunt. And the suicide mission went really badly. I lost about half the team. <laughs> and I rationalized that going into Mass Effect 3, uh, you know, because I'm Shepard. I'm the main character. So I rationalized, like, story-wise, my, art, my brain decided that Shepard was so blinded by his friendship for Grunt <laughs> that, that he, uh, it clouded his judgment and he made a poor decision. Right. And now Mass Effect 3 starts, and he's, he's living with the consequences of that and most of the team being dead. I, I definitely killed most of my team on accident. I'll be honest, I like did that, and I was like, no. Nah. And I, I like went back, and I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. I'm going, I'm, not the whole game, but I was like, I'm going to get them all alive. I know that it sort of messes up the story path, but I was such a dick about it. I was like, no, 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 they're not dying. This was my thing with this game. I promised myself when I started the game uh, that I would, whatever happens, I would just let it happen. Because it's easy to imagine with a game like this, you know, especially I started Mass Effect 2 after it had been out, I could play the game with the wiki open on my phone and read a whole page for every mission I'm on where if you do this, then this guy lives and then this will happen allowing this. But I said that would not be fun and I just made this mental commitment that (laughs) I was just going to do, just do whatever I wanted to do and live with the consequences. And I think it made the game a lot more fun. It made a lot of those decisions carry a lot of weight. Yeah, I should have done that, but I'm, you know, I'm a total wuss. The decisions, I think, are really the highlight of the Mass Effect series. Like, the running and gunning is fun, but I think it says something about the game that, to me, I think the most unique and the most exciting parts are uh, when you're in a conversation, you have to decide between two things. Well, yeah, because it's not, you know, it's not your normal role-playing, like, where's the armor? Do you have a mission for me? 
or no, I will not take, you know, it's not just like give me a mission or do not accept mission. There's choices that have consequences and characters hear about those choices. And that carries over to other conversations, which I really appreciated. Yeah. I heard a lot of people say, cause there's usually uh, a good guy ish option called Paragon yeah. and a bad guy ish option called Renegade. But I use ish because I hear a lot of people say, I just pick the good guy option every time. But sometimes, and I think really this is what makes this game so unique and so great, is it's not clear which one's the good guy option, you know? Um, I think there's situations where there's a lot of gray. Yeah. Do you remember any situations in the game where you were frozen and you didn't know which way to go? There's moments throughout the series where it's like, you don't like, you know, uh, or the Rex thing in Mass Effect 1 where it's kind of like, essentially like the Paragon option could be a bad guy option where it's like, you know, they're... The Krogan, for those of you that don't listen, the Krogan are like this warlike race. They're like, you know, sort of dinosaur men, warlike race. And they're so good at war that other races have impaired their ability to have children. After the other races had used the Krogan in another conflict where they had, um, I believe the term they use is they brought them up. They, uh, I don't know, gave them more intelligence or weapons or technology or something to right. use them as a weapon. Then when they got out of control, uh, biologically castrated them. And how you deal with that, there's not really a good guy and a bad guy answer. I think there's two different options. Right. Uh, there's also the Rachni, which are like this race of insects, like giant insects, which like you can save their queen and again have the threat that they'll once again make war on the galaxy or not save the queen and like, you know, keep the galaxy safe for certain. A lot of a lot of genocidal options there. A lot of genocide in Mass Effect. I'm not saying it's as good. But I think that Mass Effect may be the closest that video games have come to The Wire, the TV show The Wire, in, uh, you know, creating this these interesting moral gray areas where there's not good guys and bad guys. There's an interesting story with people with different motivations. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I like the gray areas. You know, I like the problem that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic had, as much as it's a great game, was, you know, Dark Side is always super evil. It's always, you know, giving a child ice cream or stealing his lunch money. Like, there was never the gray area that you have in Mass Effect. I think that uh, that is the case with a lot of games, pretty much since Bioshock, which if didn't invent the moral choice system, uh, certainly popularized it. A lot of games have, uh, where the, in Bioshock, for instance, you either save the kids or kill them, and it doesn't really uh, make any sense to kill some of them or to save, uh, to kill half of them and to save half of them. Once you start killing them, you pretty much have to go full-blown evil to get all the evil powers, or you have to go full-blown full blown good to convince other people to help you. There's no point in splitting difference. Whereas in Mass Effect, you can kind of uh, make an interesting character who's a little of both. For instance, my commander, Shepard, didn't like helping humans. He was completely friendly, uh, wanted to help all the aliens and all of the, uh, you know, all the monster, all the robot people. He was all about helping them. But he had a very short temper with humans. And the game <laughs> lets you play it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I went Paragon because, again, I'm a wuss. But I think what's weird is, you know, Mass Effect has a great gray, gray area system. I wish more games would take the morality systems from games like The Sims, you know, where it's like, do... It seems like a simple choice, but, like, do I skip work today so I can fuck around and, like, make my character happy? Well, that's not an interesting choice to me just because I'm already living with that choice every <laughs> single day. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like, in video games, the problem I have with games like Bioshock is that, again, it's like, do I kill a child or, or help, a, help a child? What I liked about Mass Effect is you'd have Paragon and Renegade options that were relatively simple options, like, you know, like... Do I lie to somebody about something that doesn't really matter, or do I like say something nice? 
Um, and I wish morality systems were a little more gray and a little more minute in their detail levels. You know, again, like in The Sims, like where it's like you could have sex, you could cheat on your spouse in The Sims, but it wasn't like this world-breaking thing where you started getting scars and shooting lightning. It was just like you got some points in an area, but you got it for a crappy reason. I thought of another interesting moral choice that comes up in Mass Effect 3. Uh, this is just, and this is just a side mission. Like The things we've been talking about, I think, are some of the major milestones. But yeah. there's one point uh, where you're helping out a member of the Volus, who are a short uh, merchant race. I think they're one of two races who I think are probably supposed to be the Jews. <laughs> they're kind of molish people. Right. And you're chasing this one down. I forget what he did, but he was a real piece of shit. Uh, he sold out his people. He did something evil. You chase him down. You save his ass. And uh, he is going to launch uh, an attack on a Turian, who are this, these other people who are kind of insect-like. Anyway, the, uh, he's going to launch an attack on their planet. But he says uh, you can stop him, and you can stop the attack on his planet, or uh, you can let it happen, and then he pledges to help you in Mass Effect 3's final battle. Mass Effect 3, like Mass Effect 2, the whole game's kind of preparing for this final battle. So you have to face a decision. Do I let these, uh, do I let these people die uh, at the planet and like help this piece of shit out? And he will help me in this more important battle, which if I don't win, everyone's going to die. So right. it's not quite clear what is like the good guy thing to do there. Because if, uh, if you stop him you know, and do the proper thing, more people will die. Right. All virtual people who live inside my Xbox. This is not a multiplayer game or anything. No, no, these aren't real people with real feelings. Who are your favorite uh, squad mates in Mass Effect? Because they do, some of them, they're not real people with real feelings, but towards the end of Mass Effect 3, as they were wrapping up some of those relationships, uh, it was almost like a TV show, and each Mass Effect game was a season of that TV show, and I felt like I had spent a lot of time with a lot of them. Um, I really like Tally a lot. Oh, she died in the suicide mission for me. <laughs> And I didn't even, I lost uh, Grunt and Legion in the suicide mission, uh -huh. who were two, I'd say I had four favorites, Grunt, Legion, Garrus, and um, who's the other one? Oh, Morden. And oh, yeah. I lost Grunt and Legion, and I was so distracted by that that I forgot that Tally had died in the suicide mission. And when I got to Mass Effect 3 and someone was like, Tally would have loved this, I had completely forgotten she was dead. I just expect, kept expecting her to show up around another corner. Like in life when someone dies. Um, uh, I liked Tally a lot. I, liked, uh, I did like Legion. Legion was a cool character. I also liked Liara. Liara is a character of romance throughout the series. Nice. Yeah. So I never... Uh, God, I've never been interested in a, romancing a video game character, but I gotta say, when you turn this game on and you import your save from a previous Mass Effect, it lists your achievements uh, from the previous game, your major decisions. It's, uh, you let the Arachni Queen live, you spared the council, you chose this person to die over this person, or whatever, and then at the bottom of mine, it says, did not romance anyone in Mass Effect 1, did not romance anyone in Mass Effect 2. And I was like, shit, I gotta get laid in Mass Effect 3. <laughs> this is our last chance. That's what it felt like. Uh, uh, so, so you romanced her, Liara, wait, Liara, right? Yeah, Liara. Liara, who is an Asari, which are these blue, uh, technically they don't have a gender, but they're f all feminine. Uh, yeah. They're aliens, if that wasn't clear. Uh, I am very proud to say that in this game, Mass Effect 3, I romanced a gay man. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good for you. Um, I was, I really, I'd heard that there was a gay character in the game. Yeah. And I really wanted to see that because it's just something you've, uh, 
You just never see, you've never seen that in a video game before. Mass right. Effect One and Two had some lesbian stuff. This game had a gay thing, and I thought that was really interesting. But I didn't know who on the ship was gay. I didn't know which character it was. So my shepherd was my character, <laughs> Shepard. He was like kind of mean to everyone. You know, he's not mean, but he's trying to save the universe. He's trying to get shit done. He'll be right. short with everyone. But then all the men on the Normandy, he was like, "Tell me more about your backstory. Try to figure <laughs> out." If, try just putting out some feelers. And I played as a female Commander Shepard, and I think I think I know who it is because I remember talking to one of the guys, and he was like, "Yeah, my husband died on this planet." And I was That's like, him. Right, so "That would have been that dude, Steve Cortez." Yep. So you were a female with this um, non-gender specific but very feminine but, female alien. Yeah, because I'm you know I'm I'm a 13 year old boy. So yeah, I mean I, the game's got an alien lesbian sex scene in it, so I think that's probably the most popular of all the romances, if I had to guess. Yeah, I definitely went that way. I you know honestly I want to make some justification of characterization and which characters are the best. It was because like I'm a fucking child, and I just had to be like, oh, two girls are kissing. Yeah, I regret I was a male shepherd. You can be a male or female, and there's dialogue for both of them. So speaking about, like, branching scripts, like all the he's and she's or whatever. Um, and I, But I kind of regret it because the game is so well-written that I imagine it's just as well-written if the main character is a female. And how often do you see a video game or sci-fi at all with a well-written, strong female character? And that is I'm, – I'm, I'm sorry I missed out on that because there's tons of games with, and tons of sci-fi with well-written male characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think Jennifer Hale is the voice actress. And she's super good. She's really, really good in the character. Yeah, my understanding is she's maybe a little better than the guy. Yeah, I mean, I've only I haven't played a ton with the guy, so I don't know. But she's she's really good as female Commander Shepard. And, you know, who I played through once. So for me, like, you know, to see the see YouTube clips with the male Commander Shepard is a little bit like foreign to me. Oh, totally! It's like a, a weird dream. Like when you, even if you see, I was a male Shepard, and even when I see a male Shepard that just looks different, I'm like, what's going on? This guy's copy of the game is broken. <laughs> but I yeah. think that once again, it speaks uh, to the quality of the writing, and that these guys, more so than Master Chief or Marcus Phoenix, uh, which are probably on the scale of video games, probably those are both pretty compared to other video games, well-written games, maybe, I don't know. But uh, the characters in Mass Effect are just that much more real. You get very attached to them. You get attached to them in a way that you don't get attached to other characters. Because, again, it's, you know, it sounds cliche to say, but Marcus, Marcus Phoenix's story is Marcus Phoenix's story, whereas your Commander Shepard is your Commander Shepard. Right, like mine is an anti-space racist, you know? And that, that's the unique tale that I chose to, a gay anti-space racist, and that is the, the tale I chose to play the game as. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll be talking to my friends about it, and, like, we'll have some of the same general events, but they'll do things that I haven't even seen, and, like, events that, like, I totally missed, and I'll do stuff that they haven't seen. It's almost like watching entirely different television shows and, like, weird parallel universes. Yeah, well, I don't know how much of this game... I'm trying to get a sense by reading the wiki now that I'm done with the game of what happens if, you know, you do the things I didn't do. And it seems like a lot of your decisions don't matter for what you can see. Not before we even get to the ending, which we're really teasing now. Yeah. But uh, I think if a lot, for instance, if Tali is dead from Mass Effect 2, and what's one thing that's nice about Mass Effect is you can't, that's not even a spoiler because Tali may live in your copy of Mass Effect. But if Tali dies in Mass Effect as she did in mine, uh, she's replaced by another Quarian. Tali's Aquarian. They're these migrant people kind of living out of Battlestar Galactica thing while they 
live also in these suits because they're very prone to disease. Anyway, if Tali is dead, she's just replaced with another Quarian, you know? And you, you pretty much get to do the same things, but with another Quarian replacing Tali. Same thing if you let the Rachni Queen die. She's replaced by something of a synthetic Rachni Queen, which is what happened in my game. Um, if Morden dies, there's just another Solarian. The Solarian are the other people I think may be Jewish, and uh, they're very scientific people. And if Morden's dead, he's replaced by another Solarian. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that. Just, have, you, have you seen that in the game? Like, I can't tell how much of it is really substantially different. See, I, I, all my characters lived. I didn't even know that, which is kind of a disappointment. I, I would almost want it to be like, you know, not like, oh, you're screwed, but that side mission to be like m- much harder. Well, I think the thing is, if they make a good... And first of all, the whole game is great. I can't stress enough how much I love, love, love this game. If you, but if you, So if you make a great side mission, you know, you spend time writing this interesting content, I think you don't want people to have to not to skip it all and have the game be really short because they didn't understand exactly what you were asking for at the end of Mass Effect 2. Right, yeah. So I could, I could appreciate why. But the thing is, is, it's almost like a magic trick. No matter which way, I didn't notice that until I was done with the game and I looked at the wiki and I saw what the other options were. When you're playing the game, it's so well written and it just, it bends around the choices that you have made so clearly that it, it, you don't see that when you're playing. No, no, no. Like it, it really keeps you on the straight and narrow, which I think is why people were upset with the ending was because for most of it, you're sort of, really convinced that what you're doing is is affecting the universe and the ending feels like it, you know. All right, so we've danced around it enough. Yeah. Let's talk about the ending of this game. The ending of the game, obviously extremely controversial, and uh, I think in the eyes of many has tainted the entire Mass Effect series. What is it that is upsetting people? What happens at the end? Well, let's talk about what happens first. What happens at the end? Essentially, at the end, you see this scene where it's like you're weirdly shot, but then you're somewhere else. And uh, fast forward, and um, it gets ta- it gets a little dream sequency. The whole it game's gets- kind of run and gun, and all of a sudden you're slowed down. You're injured, right? It's very dream sequency, and then you enter this area where essentially you talk to a computer voice that's looking like a child you saw earlier, which could be which. There's conspiracy theories about which both make sense and sound crazy, and essentially the computer voice is like, "Hey, get you made it this far. Congratulations." You can either make combine synthetic life with uh, real. <laughs> I just realized how far we're going to have to go back to explain what happens. Yeah, what, what we didn't even in all this talking. We haven't really even addressed the Reapers, which are the main antagonists of yeah. Mass Effect. These ancient spaceships, which uh, every fifty thousand years show up and destroy all life. The whole the first game is about discovering their existence. Uh, the second game is, I don't know, it's, it's the middle chapter. And then it, it all builds up to this fight against the Reapers. And you are finally hearing where they come from. You're in this weird dream sequence, and you're presented with three choices. All right, sorry, go back to where you were. Um, okay, yeah, so you're, the three choices are essentially like, you know, uh, what is it? There's combined synthetic, like combined robots with people. And that's what has to happen. These are your three choices. The other is you kill the Reapers, but it also would kill all synthetic life for some reason. And the game is also, we should say, synthetic life's like AI and robots and uh, particularly this species, the Geth. And uh, the game has, there's a lot in the game about, um, I mean, there's so much of the game that there's a lot about everything. But one of the subplots is, are these robots real people? Is AI life? 
Right. So it's not just like you're shutting down turrets. That is the implication of this ending. Yeah. So, and that's one of the big things too, is like throughout the first two games, in the first, all three games, like it's like, can, you know, artificial people and normal people get along? And eventually you're like, yes, but then there are these choices where essentially like, do you want to kill all robots? Do you want to combine robots with people rather than make them live together? And what's the third one? I forget what the third one is. I off think the, the third one is you, Shepard, die to take control of the Reapers. Yeah, it's something like that, which, again, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, well, the Reapers can live, but you have to die. Well, so why is this ending so, so bad? Or why do people, before I get to if you think it's bad, what is the controversy? Why do people think it's bad? I think one reason is the thing you were just saying. The whole trilogy, uh, if there is a theme the entire time, it's that uh, it's, it's a can't we all just get along type thing. The humans have just entered this galactic community. They've just kind of discovered the aliens, I don't know, 100 or 200 years in the game's time. Right. Not long. Uh, and there's all these century-old conflicts. And the game is really about traveling around. Um, and it's not really about the Reapers. The whole time you're trying to convince, in the second one, trying to convince people to work with you. And in the third one, trying to convince whole civilizations to cooperate and fight the Reapers. Uh, and you try to pull, try to stop this war between the robots and the creators. And uh, it's kind of got this theme of there should be peace and everyone should get along. And then at the end, it's like, uh, by the way, not everyone can get along. So here's what we can here's what we're going to do. Right. Um, Well, I think the reason people feel cheated was one of those three endings. Like they're all like very they they aren't no matter what you do in the game. If you can get to the end, you're presented with the same choices kind of the same way. Um, You might see different flashes of like characters later, like, when you, like, have, like, you have a quick, like, flash of different characters. Not like Fallout, where it gives you the breakfast, or, you know, Stand By Me-style, like, breakdown of what everyone's doing. Um, but it's, like, flashes of them. But everything else, no matter what you do in the game, you get those three exact same choices. They're kind of presented to you the same way. And no matter what choice you make, um, you get, like, a cutscene where, essentially, what are warp gates throughout the galaxy? The Reapers built warp gates. Just imagine <laughs> any type of warp gate. You see them all explode, no matter what choice They're you make. They're called mass relays, just so... Mass- and they explode with different colors. Um, and then at the end, like, you see your ship throughout the game crash, and then a few characters walk out. And then there's, like, a weird sequence after that where, like, a grandfather's talking to his son as if he's reading him a bedtime story. So fucking obnoxious. That's, like, just the, the most trite shit, no matter what is going on. No matter what came before it, it ends with, like, uh, on Earth, you know, on our Earth. Uh, this, uh, this has all been a story told to a grandchild. Uh, like, here's the thing, I, I didn't like the ending, but I've been disappointed by endings for video games before, I've been gaming since, you know, since I was a kid in the 80s, when a lot of game endings just consisted of a misspelling of congratulations, so, I'm used to bad endings, but, like, I, up to that point, I was like, fine, it's a shitty ending, and then when that guy was like, when the guy was like, well, that's it for the story today, Fred Savage, (laughs) I was like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) And then, really salt in the wound, right after that, it's like, thank you for playing Mass Effect, the story continues in downloadable content you can pay more for. Yeah, oh, God, God. Which is, like, kind of cheap. I mean, the whole game's so classy and fucking good, and then, like, right at the end there, it's so crass. Right, it's almost like someone cut the last pages out of a book, and we're like, to be continued, question mark. So, but what you were saying before about how no matter what happens, you get those three choices, and then no matter which of those three choices you choose, pretty much the same thing happens. Yeah. Uh, It kind of gets to the heart of the series. This whole thing was sold since Mass Effect 1 as this trilogy that was going to build 
and your decisions would matter. And then in the very end of the game, it turns out this moment that the whole thing has been building to, it turns out your decisions didn't matter. Right. And they don't. I mean, they don't. Maybe the DLC will fix it, but they really, really don't. Yeah, the story, the video you get, there's very, like, in some, the Earth burns, and some, the Earth doesn't burn. In some, the Reapers explode, and some, they fly away, and the color changes. And some, like, different people get out of the ship, but they're 95% the same. Yeah. And, you know, if you choose the kill all synthetic life thing, you get, like, a quick scene at the end where Shepard apparently is still alive rather than dead. I think you also have to have your... Um, galactic, galactic readiness, which is the statistic you build the whole game that signifies, you know, the galaxy's readiness to take on the Reapers. And every time you, you know, every time you convince a diplomat to help to send his fleet in, that bar goes up. If you have it really, really high up and you pick synthetic, I believe you see Shepard, like, take a breath at the end. Otherwise, I guess he's dead. That's the thing is, even with this one ending, uh, it's at best very abstract what happens. And that's not really this game's style. No. Um, no, it feels, it, it feels like they had an artistic idea in mind, then didn't have enough time. So rushed through that idea. It's crazy that, the, I mean, the ending, it seems like the whole, the whole time, certainly when they were writing Mass Effect 1, someone was like, uh, what do you think this is going to be, the, the end of this is going to be? Because this wasn't a TV show where it wasn't clear how many seasons it would be on, if they'd get renewed, uh, if an actor would leave. They were like, no, there's going to be Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. And at the end of 3, that's going to be it. I think it had the lost problem. I think that, you know, they had a basic idea of what the end would be. But, you know, it's sort of like when you found out what the smoke monster was and you were like, really? Come on. Like, when you find out the, the real history of the Reapers, which is essentially like, you get the shittiest explanation, which is the Reapers return every, like, 40,000 years to kill all organic life so they don't get killed by synthetic life. Right. So synthetic life, they're just like, synthetic life, which is, again, the AI, uh, can exist against organic, with organic life. So every 50,000 years, we kill everyone and incorporate them into biomechanical husks. So it's like, it's like we kill you so you don't get killed by other things. Which sounds like the shittiest ride around. The ending that it reminded me of uh, was Battlestar Galactica, because it's also somewhat abstract, and it doesn't really fit with the tone of the series. Or it, it's hinted at, but it's like not the element of the series that people were into in both situations. You know, Battlestar Galactica ends on like a very religious and mystical note, which was always there, but I think people wanted to see an ending about the war and the politics. No, it was, it was, it was, it was a terrible ending. And I think, I think people responded, like, I think people were right to be mad. I think like the way they responded was a little bit wrong, you know, as far as like raising money for charity and being like, we're good people, change the ending. What is that story? What are people doing exactly? Well, essentially they started this thing. It's like, let's change the ending. Let's start a petition, which is fine. I mean, it's a game. I mean, as much as we build it up, you and I, you know, video games are, big toys for people no (laughs) they started a big petition that was like change the ending which is fine but then they started like a charity drive which sounds good but the way they sold it was like if we raise enough money this will get the ending changed and the charity got confused by it and like fans got confused where people were asking for refunds from a charity um and it became this big mess and the the weird hostagey way which is almost like you know i've done a good deed therefore i deserve a good thing which should never be the re- you know what I mean? It's, 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 you should give to charity because people need help, not because you want something from a video game company. <laughs> not because you want something specifically, a new ending to a video game. 
Right. So, and that was, and like people got very angry and they like, you know, started like doing death threats and like giving out people's addresses. Obviously and, a completely rational way to handle the situation. It's for a video game. And I think, here's the thing is, yes, it's a shitty ending. I agree. It's a totally shitty ending. It's a terrible way to end it. At the same time, that 90 hours for the three games to get to that ending, that wasn't a chore. Like, I wasn't mowing lawns to see a 15-minute cutscene that sucked. You and know the, what I mean? The ending is literally, it's the last 10 minutes of the experience. It's so short. It's really the ending ending. Right. You know, I, it, it, there's, I can agree that it's a bad ending. It's sort of like, it's like, oh, but The Sopranos had a bad ending. I don't hate that I watched The Sopranos. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are like, fuck Battlestar Galactica. It was awesome until the ending. I enjoyed the first 50 hours I spent with it, but that last hour ruined the previous 50 for me. But I feel like that's such a childish view of it. I mean, it's like, again, like, when I relax and play a video game, I should be having fun playing it. Like, you know, it should not be a task to be completed for, you know, a dog bone at the end. Even if the dog bone is the end of the story, even in a game that's this focused on story... Well, it's a big dog bone, but at the same time, like, I don't regret playing the games at all. Like, I'll be happy to see where the DLC takes it, and I think the ending's shitty, but, like, I had fun in Mass Effect 3. I loved Mass Effect 3. It was so good. And also, the whole game, to an extent, is an ending, which is, I think, one reason it's so fun, because uh, the whole game is payoffs to plots that were set up in Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2. You know, you deal with the Genophage, you deal with the Quarian Geth War, uh, you deal with the Turians. Like, everything that's been set up finally comes to a end. So the, it's, the game is 20 hours of ending. It's just that last ending to the overall plot is uh, something of a complete miss. Right. And I, and I totally agree. It's a total miss. But I don't think people think of it that way. Like, I mean, uh, to back up a bit, I, you know, you, you get the end of a lot of stories. So things you started doing in Mass Effect 1, you do finish in Mass Effect 3. Again, the genophage. Um, or like Tally's, uh, the, the Quarians and the Geth. That can be resolved. And that itself is a story ending. I think fans wanted every single plot point to be addressed in the ending. And most plot points were addressed in the game just fine. The big overall story ended on a terrible note, but there, were a, there was a lot of, uh, uh, of plots closed up really nicely in the game. And I think that's been ignored because of the one big controversial ending. Earlier you mentioned insane conspiracy theories. Can you speak to those for a moment? Oh, essentially, in the game, the Reapers do something called indoctrination which is if you spend enough time around them, no matter what species you are, they sort of like brainwash you and take over your mind and make you work for them even if you don't know that you are. Um, and what the theory is, is that Shepard has spent so long fighting the Reapers that they have indoctrinated him or her and that the ending is actually sort of like a false dream presented by them. And it's like, if you say that you're going to control them, you're actually just falling into their trap and letting them kill you and take over you. And if you merge them, you're falling into their trap. And if you decide to kill all synthetic life, um, you're actually just killing the Reapers. But you're like, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's like this false dream sequence ending where, you know, you're indoctrinated and the whole Mass Effect is just some dream of an autistic child that wakes up in a shower or something. <laughs> I think this is possibly a situation where uh, people are so anxious, so desperate for a fix, they're looking for it where maybe it's not there. Right. I mean, they, I mean, if you watch the YouTube videos, they make convincing arguments, but it's also like, you know, it's sort of like watching the 9-11 conspiracy theory videos where you watch them and you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. 
But then if you look at it for a little bit longer, you're like, wait, no, 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 okay, wait, no, no, you're totally wrong. So the DLC is something where I think a lot of people are optimistic. You seem kind of optimistic that they might fix it. You know, I think that maybe they'll expand on it. God, I hope they cut out that, that again, that, like, Princess Bride-style book reading. Oh, you think they're just going to, like, alter it? I mean, I don't think they can go back and change it. I think, best-case scenario, you're adding something new. But I don't think they can add something new to fix it for people, because I think what people were expecting wasn't one thing. They were expecting a hundred endings. They were expecting all sorts of different things that could possibly happen. And I can't imagine a DLC that's going to involve, uh, that's going to satisfy the end of everyone's Mass Effect plot game. Oh, it's not going to satisfy everyone. And the thing is, people are so mad now that there's almost nothing you could do to fix it. But they do seem like they're taking fixing it seriously. Like, I think there was a time, I imagine... Uh, where it seems like they were kind of laughing it off, but now uh, they do seem to be taking the community's concerns pretty seriously, and I think they might have to do... Or I think it seems like they want to do something about it, genuinely want to. Well, yeah, I mean, they were always going to be DLC. That's why they had that ending that said, continue the adventures in DLC. Um, they were always going to do DLC, but now it's sort of like, I think that they know that if they don't do DLC at least a little bit right, they're going to gain even more spite from the fans. Because, you know, like you said, the ending of the game says, continue the game in DLC. So now they have to do something. And Bioware, uh, who made this game, is a very strong brand uh, to people that know video games. I think to the general public, certainly it's not a household name, but they managed to launch Mass Effect, which was a completely new intellectual property, not based on anything, uh, and was immediately huge because Bioware has such a proven track record with Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic. And they're known for making these um, Jade Empire. And they're just known for making these great games. And I, they're so good that they're planning three. Ma- they'll probably be more Mass Effect games. But they did three games with an ending. And then they're going to move on to something else. And they're going to be able to do that because they're Bioware. So I think it's really important that they repair that relationship with the fans and repair that Bioware name. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they've, this whole thing has done a lot of damage. Like, you go on forums now and people are like, well, that's Bioware. You know, it's, it has a feeling almost like when Call of Duty started to go a bit bad for fans, where Call of Duty Modern Warfare went from this, like, awesome multiplayer game that everyone was playing to a still game that everyone's playing, but people really don't like. And Bioware is on that precipice where they could become, like, a company that used to be good until this point, you know? Yeah, I think people bought into the... Very few companies could say, we're going to make a trilogy, and you're going to want to follow this story through all three games. That takes a lot of chutzpah, and Bioware can do it uh, because they're Bioware, and I think now that people are... So many people are clearly disappointed uh, with that follow-through on that promise, I think they're going to have to make good on that to improve, to you know, get their brand back and so they can move on and do other things. I totally, I totally agree. That said, they're probably, like, rolling in money from that Knights of the Old Republic MMORPG right now. That's like, we were, you know, because we were, we were thinking of jokes for Up at Noon, and there's a story that just happened, like, today or yesterday, where fans protested Mass Effect 3's ending by sending 400 cupcakes to Bioware. And the joke is that, like, all the cupcakes have different icings, but they're all the same flavor, which is supposed to be like, oh, there's three endings, but they're all the same flavor. At the same time, you just got 400 cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like sending 200 white cupcakes and 200 black cupcakes to South Africa to protest apartheid. You're not really solving something. You're just giving cupcakes to somebody. Yeah, well, we're talking about it. Maybe that's, you know, they're just trying to keep that story in the news. I think that might be part of it. Like, keep the heat on Bioware. But that's crazy. This is not like, uh, 
This is a video game company. We're, we're on the same team here. I want them to make great games. They want me to buy them. The problem is, you know, I'm a big video game fan. You're a big video game fan. I think the problem is a lot of the time, for some reason, there's a competitive relationship set up where it's almost like us and them between games and game companies. How do you mean? When Mass Effect, like, when, when Bioware at first sort of laughed off the thing was like, you know, we have our artistic vision. That's what we're going with. Fans were like, well, it's our game. You know, we get to make our choices and you're ruining the you know our thing um so i think in situations like this sometimes gamers set themselves as like opponents to game companies where game companies resist everything they can do like do everything they can do to resist giving gamers what they want and gamers have to fight game companies to get what they want it's the same thing with the you know the xenoblade thing for the wii what's the xenoblade thing for the wii oh i'm sorry um so there's i actually don't know that one Oh, there's an, R- there's an RPG in Japan called Xenoblade. Well, I obviously I knew that. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but it, Nintendo of America said they weren't bringing it to America. And then fans like were like, you need to bring it to America. And there was protests and there were petitions. Almost on a smaller scale, what happened with Mass Effect 3's ending. And it was almost like through protests and petitions and like cursing out Nintendo and like, you know, calling up company, like calling Nintendo executives that like Nintendo finally reluctantly said that they'd release the game through just GameStop, through just pre-orders. They're like, fine, we'll take your money. Right, exactly, but sometimes it feels that way. Like, there's less, like, we'll give the fans what they want, and more like, you know, fine, we'll do what you want this time. You win. Yeah, it feels like we should be more on the same team, but some of these games... Uh, you know, when you put this game in, you gotta fucking sign up for an EA account. Oh, yeah. You gotta agree to some document. You gotta enter. I pre-ordered the game from Amazon. I don't usually pre-order games, but I was like, I'm buying this fucking game anyway. I might as well pre-order it. Right. And uh, I so I, I, it came with a code for a rifle. So I gotta enter two 25-letter codes. Oh, yeah. Uh, all before you log in. If you lend the game to a friend, your game comes with uh, a code to participate in the multiplayer, uh, and then you can use it, and that's it. The next person that plays your copy of the game is going to have to spend $10. So they do do some aggressive things to consumers uh, that does kind of, you know, it feels a little antagonistic more than it should. There are certain things that EA did that were just so awful. Like, they did one thing which I participated in, and luckily I got in on time, but I had it pre-ordered from Amazon, like you. And, you know, then on Origin, which is their online downloadable service, they said, their iTunes, it's like their iTunes for games. And they said, you know, if you pre-order it from our iTunes for games, we'll give you a free game, Battlefield 3, which is a huge game. And so I did that. And it's, the day they said it, they said it was going to be a month-long thing. They cut it off that day. And it felt like this very shitty, like, uh, bait-and-switch, you know? It was, like, it was like, hey, download it off Origin. And then they were like, wait, okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. Too late. You already did it. And, you know, more than other things, video game fans are so plugged in that those brand names are important. And EA doesn't have a great one. Bioware's got a great one. But uh, I think it's why Valve has been so successful is with Steam. I trust Valve because they, I guess they've never fucked me, you know? Right. I'm cursing a lot. I've, I've gotten so passionate about Mass Effect. I've just let them fly. <laughs> well, you know, it's... It, Valve, you know, Valve doesn't... Valve is a great company for working with customers. You know, it is a matter of, like, not fucking you. Again, I know it sounds crass, but, you know, there are companies, like, who... EA with that bait and switch is it kills you. And the same thing with Bioware with Mass Effect 3. Fans were told that the ending was going to reflect all of their choices, and when it didn't, they felt cheated. And I read a quote that I've seen reprinted a lot, um, and I read this before Mass Effect 3 came out, where one of the designers explained 
Mass Effect 2 had to end at a certain place no matter what you did because Mass Effect 3 needs to start from one place. It can't start from 100 places. You had to bring 2 back to a single point so that 3 could start, and then 3 would have crazy endings that could branch off in all sorts of ways, and that really isn't at all what happened. No. Unless you consider curing the genophage and all those other minor things, the branch parts of the ending, which I guess is a way to weasel out of it, but I'm not buying it. I mean, I would say that those are part of the ending just because it's the third game. And, you know, Han doesn't kiss Leia at the very, very end of Return of the Jedi. It's, you know, somewhere in the middle. Something that made me mad at the company and not, you know, the Reapers like I should be uh, was the way you had to play the multiplayer to improve your standing in the single player. I wish I could go back and tell myself, and I thought this may be possible, but I was too afraid to look it up because of spoilers at the time. Uh, so what happens is, in the single player, we've already mentioned, you have a galactic readiness that adds, uh, you get, well, you have two things, really. You have war assets, and every time you meet a friend or whatever, they join the cause, they add points. That is multiplied by uh, your effective mil... No, by your galactic readiness. And the galactic readiness starts at 50%, and you improve that by playing the multiplayer. So your right. effective military strength is the war assets times the percentage that you've gotten from the multiplayer. So to get that bar up, which I thought I had to do to get a good ending, which was important to me because I worked so hard on Mass Effect, I, I played a lot of the multiplayer, and I was kind of like... I felt like if the... They believed in the multiplayer. They would have trusted me to play it without in incentivizing me with the single player. I, I totally agree. I mean, I almost felt like the multiplayer was less fun um, because of that. And it wasn't bad. I could have hated it more. If I really hated it, I wouldn't have done it. I thought it was pretty fun. It wasn't bad. No, no, it was it was good. I, I'd say it's a. I'd say it's 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 fun. I really enjoy it. But, but why do it like? Who, who, did, who did they sell a single copy because of the multiplayer? I don't think so. What I think is, if you look in the multiplayer thing, there's like you know you earn credits for every multiplayer oh, mission. Oh yeah, I see where you're going with this. And you know you can buy extra equipment with those credits you earn, or you can pay real money and get that equipment immediately. Yeah, that's cynical, but you're absolutely correct. And I think that's a bad habit. I see a lot of games that are great single-player games that I am in no way interested in a multiplayer experience for, and they put it in there. I got two off the top of my head, Bioshock 2 and Dead Space 2, two games yeah. where I didn't even touch the multiplayer, uh, and just put take that time, take that money, just make the single-player 10% better. Oh, absolutely. People have said this before in the industry. It's that thing where it's like, oh, there's no multiplayer, I'm not going to buy it. But I don't think anyone's actually like that. There must be a statistic somewhere where someone said games with multiplayer sell 25% better, and they, they just do it. Right. They just automatically do it. But Bioshock 2 didn't need it. I remember when Metroid Prime 2 stuck in like a really bad multiplayer mode, and it just felt so awkward and forced. Like, and it was clearly like, well, Halo has it, and people love multiplayer in Halo. I guess they just feel like they need to include it on the box. There are games that obviously should have multiplayer, but there are games where it's like, you don't need it. Come on. We have to start wrapping this up, but before we do, I want to start some shit. This game, Mass Effect 3 versus Skyrim. What do you think? I like Skyrim more. I just had more fun with Skyrim in general. I think the writing in this better and the story's better in Mass Effect 3, but like, as far as like, me having wow, oh my goodness, oh my, oh my goodness, Jesus, like holy shit moments is Skyrim. I gotta go Mass Effect. I prefer Mass Effect. Real quick, are you, uh, do you prefer in general sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi, which okay. is weird. 
Me too, me too. I think that, you know, as much as I don't like the ending of Mass Effect, and as much as the ending really is a problem that now hangs over the entire Mass Effect trilogy, at least it has an ending. The point where I gave up in Skyrim was about 10 hours in. I was playing and I was enjoying it, and at some point I realized that the game would never end, and at some point I'd just have to decide to stop playing it. Right. And as soon as I realized that, I made the decision to stop playing it immediately because I want, I want to be working to something. The idea that I'm playing just a single-player game that just goes on forever where they will literally generate quests for me till the end of time. and I can literally never run out of things to do. It, it, once I realized, and I could kind of see the, the... Even though there's a million caves to explore, once I could kind of see the cogs turning, the game became less fun for me. I agree with that. And, you know, that, that I hit that point about 60 hours, which is, I know, a lot of time. But there was a point where I could sort of see, like, different characters doing the same things and asking the same things of me. And it also has that problem that Mass Effect does, does not have, which is, you know, Mass Effect, you get to that point where you're at the end of the mission. You know, you, the more you go on, the more epic it becomes. Whereas, you know, in Skyrim, it's like, I'd be this massive, amazing dragonborn with magic coming out of both hands, and people are like, Hey, can you deliver this letter for me? Yeah, Mass Effect does a good job, I think, of making you feel uh, like you are the coolest fucking guy in the universe. Like, what kind of class did you play in Mass Effect? I played a soldier, which is, I know, the vanilla class, but it's just what I played. I was an adept, which is like a space wizard, and it is super fun, because at the end, you can still, the game lets you still carry around, like, one gun, and all the guns are pretty much the same. So you kind of get a little bit of the best of both worlds. You can, like, throw people up in the air and, you know, shoot them down. Whereas I felt like with Skyrim, uh, all the melee, a lot of things feel the same, whether they're a fire spell or an ice spell, a lot of it just felt uh, very similar to me. Yeah. And I just love, uh, I really love the world of Mass Effect. And this may do be more of my strong preference for sci-fi. But uh, when, when we were talking about the game, I never had any problem recalling any of the details about any of these races. You know, like the details are all so well thought out and just thoroughly realized that it's not hard for me to even recall them. And it wasn't hard for me to remember what happened in Mass Effect 2 because they're all so memorable and well-written. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I think Mass Effect has a better story and it's better written. I guess I mean as far as like pure fun. Um, which is, is, is a hard thing to uh, qualify, obviously, and I know that in, in games we've sometimes lost sight of just the pure fun aspect. But I like I liked Skyrim more. I like Skyrim more. I mean, I liked New Vegas, you know, Fallout New Vegas more than Skyrim. As oh, far interesting. As I think I like Skyrim more than Fallout. Skyrim does let you, like, obviously, obviously Skyrim's really good, and it lets you, like, it gives you a degree of freedom. I think there's just a, a spectrum between, like, a really tightly controlled story game on one end, like, almost a text adventure, something right. where there's only one unique path, and then uh, The Sims or something complete Minecraft all the way on the other side. And Skyrim right. is just a little more on one side than Mass Effect is. Yeah. Let me ask you this. For a while, I was looking forward to Arkham City, and then I was looking forward to all the games that were coming out in Christmas. And even after the Christmas games, I was like, well, there's still going to be Mass Effect in March. I don't know what I'm looking forward to now. What is the next great video game to be played? God, I don't even know either. Like, it's almost like I'm waiting to find out. Like, I know Assassin's Creed 3 is the big thing everyone's talking about. I don't love the Assassin's Creed series. I actually have just started 2. I started 2 right before I got Mass Effect 3, like a day or two before. And I play, I've never played an Assassin's Creed game before. Uh, but the, what I've seen of 3, I thought looked so interesting that I thought uh, I should catch up with And I've heard so many good things about it. I thought I should catch up with the series. And it's pretty good. And I like uh, 3 looks really cool. But it's not till 
they just announced it, so there's a lot of, or they just revealed what it's going to be, so there's a lot of yeah. uh, hype right now. But the game's still not coming out for October, November. Uh, so there must be something before that. Uh, Diablo 3? Diablo 3. Diablo 3, which they just gave a date for May, I think. May 15th, yeah. Yeah, that looms large. I'm not traditionally a huge Diablo fan either, but Blizzard's a company like Valve, where like, Blizzard's so, uh, well, Blizzard's so known for quality at this point uh, that... No matter what it is, I'm I'm curious what they're up to, and I'm going to check it out. Yeah, me too, me too. I mean, you know, I like Diablo, and I like Diablo 2. I wasn't the guy obsessed with them. I beat yeah, them, but I wasn't yeah. like, replaying. Um, but I'm going to get it, because, again, it's Blizzard, and Blizzard games are like big cultural events for gamers. Yeah. You've mentioned the show that you're working on uh, for IGN a few times, Up at Noon. What is Up at Noon? Up at Noon is a sort of video game-based talk show. You know, uh... Think of it sort of a combination of Weekend Update and The Daily Show and a little bit of Conan as far as, like, you know, interviewing people for video games. So we have game developers on. We do comedy bits with game developers. We've done comedy bits with Mega Man creator, you know, KJ Inafune, um, the Street Fighter producer, Yoshinori Ono we've done comedy with. Cliff Blazinski has done readings from the novelization of Doom. So it's ah, sort of a, a good one. show just aimed at video games. It's It's... People have compared it to Attack of the Show, but it's a little narrower than that. That's cool. I mean, the show just started, and already uh, all these amazing people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's been good. Like, we even had the creator of Journey, that PS3 game on, and he was super interesting. It's it's a really fun video game talk show that I, I know sounds like a PR thing to say, but I really hope video game fans like. That sounds really cool, and that's on IGN. Yeah, it's on IGN. I mean, uh, if you YouTube up at noon, you know, we've done nine episodes so far. Check them out. Is there anything else we can plug? Follow me on Twitter, at Mike Drucker. Oh, my God. Your Twitter account, Mike, I'm not just just buttering your bread because you're on my show. (laughs) I think you're my single favorite Twitter account. Uh, Amazing jokes. Best. It's so great. You got to follow Mike. I really appreciate it. I I, I follow. I'm very happy I follow you as well. Ah. Oh. Uh, thanks so much for talking about Mass Effect, Mike. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I am so into Mass Effect 3, which I recognized listening to this episode again is probably one of my favorite games of all time now, even with that ending, that I almost have to dedicate this episode to the friends I made playing the game. I'm talking about Garrus, uh, Lieutenant Steve Cortez. One more funny story I want to tell about... Uh, now it's got to be funny. One more story I want to tell about Steve Cortez, uh, my gay Mass Effect lover, is that there was this one time I was flirting with him uh, on the Citadel, and we were just looking at spaceships or something, and Mass Effect has this thing where when you're in conversation, uh, you have an opportunity to very quick, you have to make a very a snap decision. Either Sometimes you offer the opportunity to do something really nice or to do something uh, more renegade And you only have a second. It just pops up and you have a second to decide if you want to do it. And I'm talking to Steve and we're looking out over the spaceships. Very romantic moment. But I was also checking my phone or something and the option to do something nice came up, you know, to kind of escalate the relationship. And I missed it because I was checking my phone. And then the conversation ended. It was normal. We got back to the spaceship. But then, during the actual game, when, you know, I'm out there fighting the Geth, blowing up aliens, all I could think was, shit, I missed my opportunity with Steve. Am I going to get another one? That's how good this game is. I love Mass Effect 3. Everyone play it. Thus concludes this episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Another episode coming out, as always, on Tuesday. Next week's episode, I am talking to the writers 
of I Want My MTV, this incredible book that is the complete history of MTV and the golden age of the music video era. Gonna be a really fun talk that's gonna be up on Tuesday. You guys need anything, you know where to reach me. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Rubin Show. I got a Facebook fan page. You just had to upgrade to a new cover, so go and check that out. Uh, there is a Tumblr at jeffrubinjeffrubin.com. And yeah, I always forget uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. And you can email me, 